0: Nate, have I told you about my superhero theory of pop music? No, I I definitely would have remembered. What's that? Okay, so it's basically this idea that super pop stars are like superheroes and they have a similar story arc of superheroes. Uh huh. First, you get like the origin story, they confront some major thing, eventually, they team up with other people and get (laughs) featured. You know, on some kind of big team of other superheroes. And then eventually, like, things turn around and you get the anti hero story. You get, like, the dark side of them. You know, you could look at someone like Ariana Grande, where it's like you get Disney Princess who then, like, teams up with producer Zed and eventually puts out this dark record, Thank You (laughs) Next, right? Like, the whole arc of the superhero. Interesting. Okay. So, in this analogy, being bit by a radioactive
1: spider is like kind of equivalent to getting signed to a major label
0: your extension of this analogy is, a, is perfect because the other thing that happens in superhero narratives is that every couple of years they get rebooted how many spider-mans have we had like 17 <laughs> okay i'm with you i'm with you superheroes have to have a narrative that sort of speaks to their time and their generation and eventually they age out and there's a new audience that needs a, a superhero that speaks to the issues of the moment And in pop music, I think we're going through a transition, and there's no better superhero, super pop star to look at than Billie Eilish. She just perfectly captures this moment.
1: Uh, I can't wait. All right, a new pop hero emerges. Let's do it.
0: Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding.
1: And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan.
0: Okay, so Nate, I feel like there's a couple of things that we need to do here. This is this is sort of an atypical Switched on Pop piece.
1: For an atypical artist, yeah, appropriate.
0: Exactly. It's like, generally, we're going to just take like one song and break it down. Right. But Billie Eilish is kind of bigger than any one song. And so I think today what we need to do is figure out who is she? Where did she come from? Why is she so essential to this cultural moment? And, of course, we need to dig deep into her music. Word. Right. Uh, the, I like it. The appetizer platter approach. I went around and asking a bunch of our friends if they had heard of Billie Eilish. Guess what the response was? Uh, ooh,
1: I'm I'm going to guess a mix. I'm going to say some were like, love her. Some were like, never heard of her. Some were like, kinda... Am I, what's what? What was it? What was it actually?
0: I was with about fifteen friends yesterday, and all of them said, "Who? Oh, okay." I stand corrected. Which says maybe a
1: generation gap happening here. Yeah, yeah. This is a generational gap,
0: and so yeah. what I want to do is for those of us who might be in a generational gap, um, you are missing out on a total phenomenon. And so, just very briefly, Billie Eilish. Who is she? She is a seventeen-year-old homeschooled singer-songwriter. She's from Los Angeles. And after three years of putting up music, released an album. Ah. She makes all of her music with her brother, Phineas. They do it independently. They mostly record it in their bedroom at home. Huh. She was discovered on SoundCloud. They released a song called Ocean Eyes.
2: I've been watching you for some time. Can't stop staring at those oceans.
0: I think she was like 14 at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. It was remixed a bunch of times. It went viral. Song placements on Netflix's show 13 Reasons Why. I
2: just wanted you to think about it right now.
0: As I said, she's just released her first album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? It's the second biggest album drop of this year, and I think we can't move any further along without hearing Billie Eilish claiming her crown. Okay, yeah, let's spin that.
2: You should see me in a crowd. I'm gonna know when there's nothing to hide. watch me make a bow. One why, one by, one why, one why You should see me in a crowd.
0: Your silence is my favorite. Sound. What do you think of that?
1: I think she makes a strong case for for royalty. <laughs> we'll get into it, but something I love about her music is is this sense of like sharp contrast, mm. and this song is such a perfect example that that element of surprise is is like such a pleasurable and exciting part of her music. I think.
0: I think it's really stunning how she is really self aware at a young age and recognizes that she is stepping into a spotlight that is enormous, and she's doing it with a, a sort of an awesome power grab and I mean this in the yeah. best way where she's yeah. like oh you think I'm pretty you think I'm yours you should see me in a crown i'm going to make people bow it's it's a potent lyric no doubt to me this track and so much of her music
1: is all about dynamics yeah. dynamics being maybe a fancy term for saying soft and loud yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, right. fortissimo pianissimo uh, <laughs> I think she and brother producer Phineas are like just such masters of like creating these soft you know this song is a great example these soft quiet textures that yeah. suddenly erupt into like loud rough surprising sounds you know pop yeah. music is not a place for a lot of dynamics things tend to just be kind of loud and steady but I think it's such a key part of her song and like you really get the sense that, yeah, she's earned that crown because the music supports it and it delivers
0: that, that power from silence to deafening loudness. It's very cool. (laughs) I also like that it it unites so many different styles where I feel like we have in in the sort of quiet, whispery versus the sort of electronic singer y thing going on, and then in the chorus, it's trap music and mm. wobble-based dubstep and <laughs> right, 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 everything. But you know, kind of as I was saying earlier, I felt like I really like her music. It speaks to me, but I also mm. know that as the next generation of mega pop stardom, I feel like her, her work wasn't maybe made for me and maybe I'm missing something. Billie Eilish is an icon. She's essential. You can't go anywhere without bumping into her. And yet, you know, we're a bit older and just we it seems like some of our friends weren't really in on the message. And I thought to really get a sense of what is Billie's music about? Why does she feel so culturally important to this new generation? So I asked my cousins, "What do you think of Billy's music?"
3: Yeah, I love
2: her. I love her. I just like the feeling of her songs. When I heard like Billy's, it was so different from what I was used to, and I really liked it. Her songs are different, and like each song is like new. Um, I don't know. It just it felt different from most of like the I was hearing like the same thing on the radio over and over. I guess just very different. It's not cookie cutter,
0: like pop songs just to be pop songs. What do you think of these kids? Uh, I
1: think they're coming for our jobs, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I I think we, just by dint of of our our age and distance from this music, like maybe come at it from a sort of anthropological (laughs) uh, perspective a little bit. And for your cousins, it's like this music so clearly resonates in a deeply personal way with them. And so I, I, I definitely want to explore that more, yeah. And if there's one
0: thing that really stuck out, what did you hear?
1: This is new. <laughs> it's different. Yeah,
0: this is like, this stands out. Yeah, it's different. And really what I'm hearing under difference is this idea of contrast to what came before. When we use our superhero Narrative. Uh, okay, we've kind of had like a couple of generations of different heroes in pop music. If we've just sort of went very big picture, you know, in like the 2010s, there was this like
2: mm.
0: bubblegum pop thing that was happening, sure. right? And then it sort of bled into a EDM sound that then I think now has sort of molded into primarily a, a trap music based aesthetic. And what a sound reaches its faddish heights, right. something needs to come in and take its place. I think Billy, she's here representing something which looks different, sounds different, feels different. And I was just sort of like digging into this, thinking about what are the what are some of the ways that she is different. One thing that stuck out to me first was that she feels a bit like a rejection of the perfect shiny feminine pop star. Yes, she wears baggy clothes. She actually refuses to smile and talks huh. about that publicly huh. um, about how she doesn't, like, you haven't earned my smile. Mm. She feels like, rather than, like, the story of the anti-hero coming towards the end of someone's career, it feels like it's the very beginning. There's a song that I think captures this really well. It's her song, Bad Guy.
2: So you're a tough guy, like you're really rough guy, just can't get enough guy, just always so puff guy. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad your girlfriend type, your dad's type. I'm
0: the bad
1: guy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, this is fun. She is taking on the character of the bad guy. And there's some sort of salacious lyrics, perhaps, but it's also kind of putting on a character and being really goofy in it, right? That, duh. <laughs> it's like, I'm the bad guy. And her voice has been manipulated to sound it almost sounds. It sounds like one of those machines that uh, you see in, in in heist movies, and they put it over your voice so you can't tell who it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you've done that to her voice, and then she's like, Duh. <laughs> so there's she's like playing with all of the ideas of is she does she have to be the good girl or can she be the bad guy? And it's humorous too. Like there's there's satire as much as there's commentary. It really feels very smart. It also reminds me of well someone who's kind of doing a similar thing. Back in the nineties. Interesting. Me,
2: the only thing that works for me. Help me get away from myself. I wanna, like I wanna
1: feel you from the inside. I should have guessed you. <laughs> <laughs> your shameless, your, your your nine inch nails devotion is is shameless. I love it. I love it. No, and I totally, I
0: totally see the connection. It's true. You know, you you had in the '90s, you had Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails with a with a similar sort of vocal quality, this whispered, dark sound over these dark mm-hmm. electronic beats, coming out into a period of culture that was not ready for. Um, something that might be so explicit and dark and exploring some of the underbelly yeah. of the human experience. I, I mean, I'm hearing obviously a similarity with, uh, with, with Billy's music. She has this interesting way of acknowledging the dark sides of life. There is a certain, almost like nihilistic quality to mm-hmm. some of her music. And she does it by taking on all of these different characters and roles. I think another great example is in her song Bury a Friend. What do you
2: want for me? Why don't you run for me? What are you wondering? What do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me when we all fall asleep? Where do we go?
0: Ooh. What do you think of
1: that? Oh, that is just delightful. That is. It's hard to stop it, honestly, because it really <laughs> draws you in. It's yeah. swung in the sense of like you know, think of a jazz drummer a yeah. little bit, it has a shuffle it's kind beam. of loping feel. Mm-hmm. The melody has this almost like inevitable precision to it. Her vocal tone,
0: like you were saying, is so crisp and intimate. I like it. Yeah, here again, she's taking on a, a dark character. She's actually playing the role of the monster under her bed. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? And I get it. I get it. It's spooky. It's a, It's. A, it's totally spooky. And the song is complete with horror screams, again, modified right. vocals that make her sound like a monster. There's a real teenage introspection on the darkness of life, but from a, like, childhood-like character, the monster under her bed. Right. It's a very creative lyric. It's also, again harkens to other music that i've heard in the past that deals with darkness and strangeness that is unseen let's go back to the 90s again okay yeah dig us there what do you want from me? here you've got Marilyn Manson's "Beautiful People" and it, uh, really this just uh, the shuffle feel, totally right. It reminded me of that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, and that jazz drumming is going to come back. I'm I'm really excited to share this with you, but we got we got to come back to your jazz drumming because you know, Professor right, of right. Musicology, I'll put the jazz put the jazz back in
1: my pocket. <laughs> keep it there for later. Keep it warm. It'll be ready whenever you need.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just say the word, jazz. <laughs> <laughs> so like Marilyn Manson in the 90s and Trent Reznor in the 90s there, there is this like, looking at some of the darker elements of life but I can, actually I'm hearing things that are going all the way back into the 60s as well into um, someone who is known for their poetics of uh, some of the stranger parts of life
2: people are strange when you're a stranger faces look ugly when you're alone Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down.
0: Huh. And just to get it in your ear, let's play that back to uh next to Bury a Friend again. Yeah.
2: What do you want for me? Why don't you run for me?
1: There's a total melodic similarity there. Who knows if it's intentional or not, but I like you drawing that connection. There's there's melodic overlap, and there's a certain, yeah, like alienation that you hear in The Doors that you also hear in in Billie Eilish. Doors,
0: people are strange. Marilyn Manson, beautiful people. And here we have Barry, a friend. She has this way of looking at some of these harder things in life, if I have to ask her like a larger question of why uh-huh. is Billy essential to this moment? I think it's that mm. she speaks to not just teenage angst in general and every group of teenagers needs a new uh, pop star, but I actually think she's speaking to issues of this moment and hmm. she she tackles things that are challenging. She looks at questions of teen suicide. Oh wow. Friends, I've had to barely keep me up at night. It's it's very it's very dark and. Wow! Yeah. This this song reminded me actually of something that you told me about. One of um something that a student said to you. Do you remember the story of when a student said, "Hey, you you should listen to Gucci Gang." Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang,
2: Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang. Yeah, yeah,
1: I. I, I was teaching uh piano lessons to to a college student and we got into a discussion of you know what do what do people of of his generation sort of respond to in the music of people like little pump uh little Xan, xX Tentation, like because because I think for us it's like like we were saying earlier there's a certain distance we have where yeah. we're like oh this is interesting but I don't know if I really understand it on a visceral level and he was saying you know a lot a lot of the 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 violence and the darkness in this music. Um, is actually sort of comforting for members of his generation who feel like they live in a very violent world, a very dangerous world, a world in which they can go to 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 school and and not know if they're going to make it home because there could be a shooting uh, right. in which their their you know suicide is rampant among uh, not only you know these the artists themselves that they listen to but but their peer group. That was a really shocking, but also powerful moment for me where I realized like what what to me is like a kind of overwhelming darkness in this is actually maybe a sort of a source of comfort and sucker in a way for these listeners.
3: Yeah.
0: And, and particularly something that sp- stuck out to me about that story was that when I heard Gucci Gang, I was like, this is a stupid song about conspicuous consumption, which yeah. isn't to say it's, it's not, but it's like, it's got a very silly lyric. I didn't emotionally connect to it. And yet the production especially the predominance of trap music currently yeah. it often feels like even if the lyric is about conspicuous consumption say the the sound of the music is almost like the monster running to catch up after you right you have these like sub basses the and the hi-hats, it's almost like there's a horror movie monster chasing after you is the production. And the lyric is- tends
1: towards minor keys for the most part. Yeah,
0: and then the lyric is like the distraction of all the things that we pay attention to to stay keep ourselves alive and happy despite the monstrosity that's behind us. Right, right. Okay, I'm with you. Billy tackles, I think, one of the hardest realities of this that the next generation- is constantly concerned about, which is climate. Huh.
2: Hills burn in California. My turn to ignore ya. Don't say I didn't want ya. All the good girls go to hell. Cause even God herself has enemies. And once the water starts to rise,
0: yeah oh my gosh i mean the hills are burning in california and you and i both live in los angeles and we watched this basically the city on fire there was smoke everywhere you could see fire on this on this on the skyline it was absolutely oh my God, ash ash in the air it was really yeah it yeah was
1: very upsetting yeah billy
0: lives not far away and is experiencing the same thing as a young person and she in her song all good girls go to hell takes on A sort of biblical apocalyptic imagery in which she flips the script and basically says that you know when things go wrong even God herself is gonna need a friend her friend Lucifer to hang out with but in using the imagery of the oceans rising like in Noah's Ark and the hills burning like in Revelations I think she's just talking about the legitimate fears of any studied anyone who's paying attention and is a young person is concerned about what is this world going to be.
1: Oh my God. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 wild. I mean, it's it's, it's so interesting because in some ways to confront something that already keeps me up at night in pop music, I'm like, oh, I don't want to listen to that. On the other hand, yeah, it's, it's kind of powerful to hear that actually manifested rather than swept under
0: the carpet. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I'm hearing like she's different because she's not conforming to normal expectations of feminine pop stardom. She has a somewhat nihilistic approach to her music that we hear from other artists of other decades, but she's also confronting the issues of today issues of suicide and and climate change. And I think that Billy musically does deserve this crown of Mm. tackling different issues, sounding different to this young generation, speaking to what matters to them and (laughs) being the superstar, the superhero who represents a, a, a new generation.
1: Right, so maybe on the superhero spectrum, more like uh, Rogue from X Men than uh, Wonder Woman.
0: Or yeah, perhaps. yeah, definitely.
1: Actually, similar similar hairstyle to Rogue too. Now that I think of it, <laughs> a-
0: <laughs> yeah, multicolored. You know, I think we we focused a lot on the question of her message, her identity, the things that the ways which sort of are maybe more obvious in ways that that Billy stands out. But I want to go deeper into her musicality. Always. And I think there's no better place to start than in her own words. In a conversation recently with the New York Times, she was asked about what kind of music does she want to make?
3: I
2: don't want to be in the pop world. I don't want to be in the alternative world or the hip-hop world or the R&B world or whatever you think, you know? I want it to be like, what kind of music you listen to? Philly Eilish yeah. kind of music, <laughs> you know? Like, the other kind.
0: How about that? She wants to be the other kind of music. Okay, I'm into it, Yeah. And when we listened to her first song, You Should See Me in a Crown, I said, hey, I'm hearing trap. I'm hearing pop. I'm hearing songwriter. I'm hearing dubstep. And I think this is what's what's interesting about her music is that she's not rejecting what's come before. She's just mm. assimilating all of these different so- sounds. Sometimes you'll get a whole trap section, which is just a bridge. And then you're going to get like almost like a house beat in other parts. And, that, uh, and right. all these genres become almost more like little parts of her arrangement they're subservient to whatever the song needs i do
1: get the sense
0: listening to this that
1: there's a sort of enjoyable disorientation where you're like wait what am i what genre am i in and you can't answer but that just makes you want to listen more i think
0: nate what what um what's in your pocket right now
1: oh my jazz pocket your jazz
0: pocket I want to open up that jazz pocket because jazz is a whole other direction that somehow ends up in her music as well. She has some very harmonically rich and interesting stuff going on. And I want to go into one song a little more deeply. I want to talk about my favorite song on the album. It's called Zanny.
2: What is it about them? I must be missing something. They just keep doing nothing. So intoxicated to be scared. Better off without them. They're nothing but unstable. Bring ashtrays to the table.
3: Hmm.
0: Maybe it's subtle right now, but we have, you know, we've got an, uh, we have an upright bass sound. We've got some, uh, uh, some cymbal work. Sounds a little jazzy. And most of all, her voice it's this is this is the thing that like when I heard this song I was like oh you're just like it's a crooner right
1: totally yeah
0: right it's not like she's just whispering and like being cool it's actually she she's in a whole style that has been around for many decades and yeah. I was like you know what this is it just like reminds me of like I don't know we could like we could listen to Billie Holiday or for some reason this one reminded me of a Sinatra song ooh it, okay which Sinatra Dream a Dream I do dim- all the lights and i
2: sink in my chair the smoke from my cigarette climbs through the air the walls of my room fade away in the blue and i'm deep in a dream
0: of you we have uh, Cigarette Smoke actually plays a central character in both songs. They uh, In one, they are the protagonist in uh, Sinatra, and in Billy, they are the antagonist. Uh, mm. It's very imagistic. Uh, you feel like you're in, in, in Billy's song. You feel like you're in a diner with her friends, and in the Sinatra, you feel like you're lounging at home in the living room after a hard day's work, but you can picture it and part of that i think is the obviously the intimacy they're singing at such a low volume using mic technique that actually really the crooners be, were known for sounding so different because they took advantage of being of, of microphone technology they could sing quietly and yet still have an orchestra behind them something that was never available before and similarly with billy here the song starts, you know, very quietly, but surprise surprise the dynamics are going to increase and somehow you can have whispers and you can have 808 beats.
1: Totally. It was really exciting to listen to this song cuz I was like, "Oh wow, this is out of another era." But then of course, the section you didn't play, the chorus of this song is 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 a th- total 180 from that sound as well. Let's go there. Oh, man,
2: any to feel better jazz
1: right and then all of a sudden it becomes this kind of like loping rock song it's really they, I love, they just go, she and Phineas just go in like any direction they please. And it always works because the conviction in her voice, I think, ties everything together.
0: Absolutely. The, the voice does it. And I, as i was saying before, I feel like there's this genre bending that is always serving what the song needs. So here, mm-hmm. the, if we think about what's Zanny about? Well, it's kind of a like an anti-drug PSA in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the verse, you basically she's hanging out with a bunch of friends that are getting high, and right. they're bringing out their ashtrays and going to smoke their cigarettes. And then you're not really sure if like she's going to like join the crowd from peer pressure.
1: Mm, right,
0: and, right. And then in the chorus, you get she's just like in this, you, almost like the drugged out state of their friends. Is that heavy eight oh eight bass, and sh- her voice is distorting. It's a great example of text painting right when she says i don't need a zany uh uh, which is of course (laughs) xanax to feel better she's just she's fine drinking canned coke like she's like she doesn't need another kind yeah canned exactly she is content to find her own happiness in her own ways and I, i love i think the genre bending serves the larger Text the, the text painting within the song, like, you need that zanny section to be dark and heavy and, and right. manipulated. And the other section feels introspective and personal uh, in the verse, kind of like the Sinatra. Right. But it's
1: also probably part of that sort of ironic tongue-in-cheek distance you were talking about yes. earlier, where she's taking the conventions of... Jazz, uh, a music associated with smoky nightclubs and drug abuse, and then kind of flipping that on its head. Yeah. Wait, we, can we talk about the, the drums in that, in that verse too? Because that is such a classic sound of jazz, what's known as brushes on a snare drum. where you're literally not playing with drumsticks, but playing with these wire brushes, and you can create that distinctive shh. that like sweeping sound over the snare that is like such a characteristic sound and like you say something that's surprising to hear in a 2019 pop track right but it's there for a good reason it's there to create this ironic friction with the smoky sound of jazz and the anti-drug message of
0: the song yep wow fun stuff man billy wow billy coming correct all throughout her music i think i think you put it correctly we are known on our show for sometimes maybe extending our analysis beyond the intention of the artist which i think we, we both feel very comfortable in doing so because music is about the musical relationship of the listeners as much as it is about the intentions of the artist that said on this album the intentionality of the sounds is remarkable there's this line in one of another one of her songs where she says I'm up all night on another red eye.
2: Oh, all night. On another red, red eye. It stores the clips I wish we I wish never learned, learned.
0: she's flying around the world and also like her eyes are red from crying. And underneath that, she has this safety demonstration, uh, like from a, from an actual flight followed (laughs) by the taking off of a plane. But the taking off of the plane is used to sound like a, like a riser in an EDM track to move into the next section. And you're like, Oh dang, all these found sounds that exist within her music. They have her, uh, her braces coming out, there's an easy-bake huh. oven sound. There's all of these sounds that they put in there to evoke. Sometimes it's like horror-like sounds. Other times it's to just reinforce the emotional state. There, everything feels sort of uniquely deliberate in the choices in the sound design.
1: I see. So it's not a case of us overinterpreting. Like these clues are sprinkled throughout the record for, for listeners to come find.
0: There's only one way for us to know, which is to talk with the producer who put all of these sounds together. So when we come back, we're going to talk with Phineas O'Connell, uh, the producer and co-writer of all of Billy's music, also her brother, But don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies and it's a real bummer, but a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief, nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Fox Creative.
1: Like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at RunningSuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course.
0: I had the chance to sit down with Phineas during his rehearsals for Billy's World Tour, and I wanted to specifically look at how he and Billy thought about crafting their sound and their characters in one particular song bad guy. It seems to be a hodgepodge of genres. It doesn't really even have a chorus and yet the song is an absolute smash and I wanted to know how Phineas thinks about putting these sounds together to be so different and yet so catchy. Here's Phineas on what inspired bad guy.
3: Calling yourself the bad guy. Like, oh, you've made yourself the bad guy. That's like the phrase that that comes to mind which is like, you've done the thing that like Is inexcusable somehow or is sort of like trumps the other person in your nefariousness. You know I'm the bad guy. Um, and I loved that it was sung by a sixteen-year-old girl. (laughs) This is awesome. How did bad guy come about? Billy had made this um, sort of crazy distorted trap beat in her bedroom. That was actually it ended up being the outro of the song and had written that really cool verse. I
2: like when you get mad. I am pretty glad that you're alone. You said she's scared of me. I mean, I don't see what she sees, but maybe it's because somewhere we cologne.
3: So when we um, were messing around with the sort of the beat and the, the base idea of what became the beginning of the song, Bad Guy, and we decided that it would probably be a song called Bad Guy. We were like, oh my God, that thing that we didn't really know what it was, that has to be like the outro of this song. And I think then it was just sort of a question of like building the kind of concept and the character of, of, uh, you know, what we were trying to say about like Billy being the bad guy in that song and what like saying you're the bad guy is. Okay, so you start with the outro and then you move into what comes next. Started with the outro and then sort of, didn't abandon it but sort of put it on hold, put it on the back burner for a long time and then had this, just this four on the floor kick drum and then this bass layered over it. Which just already, I was like I already want to like do something to this. And then the next component was like in order to try to come up with like the rhythm and melody of the vocal, I was just playing the chords on the piano which is like a one three five of like a G minor chord. And then instead of sort of, like, coming up with a different melody than that, I thought, oh, the melody, the sort of components of the melody, is that it's all three of those pitches at once. It's this, like, cluster harmony, and the rhythm's really staccato. And that those aren't really shifting, it's the chords underneath them that are shifting. I thought that would be really just fun to listen to. There's never a chord in that song. It's only bass and her vocal, which makes chords. It's all just sort of monophonic patterns, except for her voice, which is chordal.
0: So there's th- this bad guy character, which is yeah. tending towards the minor, yet the song has a certain irreverence to
3: it. Yeah. Well, the song, you know, the song's pretty tongue-in cheek, and I think that nothing seems kind of more ridiculous than than having no sense of humor about something. Like if you're just being serious and dramatic and humorless in your music, especially if you're trying to seem like evil in any sense like it's just so like heavy-handed and pretentious that I think the only times we've ever gotten really serious in our music are like love songs or like songs about the loss of somebody but yeah and this song especially we were like it's way fun i mean every every great villain in every movie is funny because otherwise you'd you'd be they would be so uncharismatic like an uncharismatic villain is like sort of worthless in, in storytelling. You have to have a villain that has some level of charisma, which sometimes is even like a cool outfit. You know, mm-hmm. villains always have the coolest lightsaber. Um, but, but yeah, I think funny villains, that's like, that's my bread and butter. And that's also like, even if you go back to like kids' movies, the villains are often like very funny. And so I think we wanted to have a villain that was like funnier than the protagonists. I think the most villainous thing that you do in the song is that you killed the chorus.
2: I'm the bad guy. Duh,
3: yeah, yeah, and then the duh was like, you know, I think we were just like, well, duh. I think I don't, I don't. I think it took a couple of takes to get a duh that we didn't think was contrived either. We were like, it's like there's things like a breath and like saying saying stuff like duh, like where you you think it's gonna be the easiest thing to do in the world, and then you do it, and you're like, wait, 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 I have to do that again because you're like, you've never like heard yourself say it, and then like. Like when you're sort of acting, you have to like re- like circle back to like how it would sound if you were just like throwing it away, which like if you said duh to something, like it'd be a throwaway. You'd be like on your computer and someone would ask you a question, be like, duh. And so I think like when you like go to record it and the beat drops and you're just like, duh, like it's this very like just sort of comical thing that, that Billy was like, oh, that's lame. I want to like really just like make it sound like, you know, this kind of like shoulder shrug. The song to me is almost like it's almost like the Joker. It's got a sense of humor in that yeah, way. Yeah, man. I mean, like the Joker's is the best example of like a funny villain and like a weird charismatic. I mean, like you, you care more about the Joker in the Dark Knight than you care about Batman. Like you're like, oh my god, this, this dude is like just so fun to watch. You know, even though he's like doing evil, unspeakable stuff in those movies. I think that I think the song sort of borrows a lot of thematic elements from, from movies like that. Mm. You take on these great characters, and the thing that really astounds me about the song is the
0: way in which you blend stylistic genres, moving between, I mean, you've got gospel sounds. I
2: like when you take control.
0: Halloween, John Carpenter, kick drum. You yeah. You've got blues, it's all in there. And, you re- and I think that taking on this character of the bad guy, it feels like, again, this is sort of my interpretation of it, but I love that you sort of get rid of a section that I expect to be there. And you also throw in a trap beat that I don't expect to be there. Like, the bad guy is happening in the way the song is being written. That's cool, man.
3: I'm so glad that is is the interpretation that you're taking from this. And I, I wish I was... Clever enough to think that when we made it. I was just like, yeah, I guess, I guess it doesn't need a chorus. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the way that we we deal with, like, cross-genre is that in our, in our time not writing and recording music, we're listening to everything. We're listening to all genres of music, and new music and old music, and then it all just sort of gets synthesized and boiled down into this sort of broth that we, you know, make. And I think... Very rarely are we, like, pulling up a song when we are making a song to reference it. We're almost always just, like, you know, um, m- like, making it as it comes. And any influence is sort of, like, subconscious, even though once we've, once we've recorded it, we go, like, oh, this sounds like, you know, that, right? But it's all, it's all subconscious going in. And then when we listen back, we're like, oh, that's definitely where we can point to that as a reference.
0: Do you think that collaborating outside of the typical song pop machine where it's just the two of you does that give you more liberty to go across genre?
3: Yeah, probably. I think I think we come from a place like even though now we do we are we're friends with a lot of contemporary musicians that we admire and look up to, I think like looking at it as kind of outsiders because we're still in like our childhood bedrooms like mm-hmm. making music. There is a kind of a sense of like sort of like yeah, we're just gonna make this today and drop it on SoundCloud, like this sort of like pirates thing. It's not even like rebelling against something. It's just like we're gonna do it anyway. Like, they're, like when we're in the creative process, like we forget that we have, you know, a label that is promoting Billy's album. Ultimately, we're just making it together, you know. And I think that sometimes when you're working with five people, it's it's impossible to forget that there's a whole world outside of you because you're all from different places. And when it's just the two of us and we're in like the bedroom we've been in for twelve years, it's like. It's pretty easy to forget about everything else.
0: When I was researching this piece, I wanted to talk to some younger people because I've, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the place of like aging out of pop music. Sick. <laughs> and so, oh, I feel that way. <laughs> so I interviewed, I interviewed my uh, my cousins, mm-hmm. and they all said the exact same thing. They said, "I love Billy. She's so different, and her music is so different." That's awesome. Do you like being different?
3: Yeah. Difference, all you can be. I think like. The first song we made that to me felt different was the th- third song we put out, which was the song "Bellyache."
2: Alone, of gum, the driveway.
3: To me, "Bellyache," although there are songs that it you know can be compared to, putting a reggaeton beat with an acoustic guitar and then a bass drop was just like I hadn't heard that done before, production-wise. and I hadn't heard a verse written about the things that we were writing about. I remember playing the song for friends of mine before it came out, and before anyone said anything that was like, nice man, they all were like, I've never heard anything like that before. And that was like, I'd never had anyone say that to me about something I'd made before, and I was like, I want that feeling forever. I only wanna make stuff that people are like, I've never heard anything like that before. That was like the most exciting thing about that song to me and so I've just been chasing that since then how do you cultivate it trying to do something and then realizing that the thing that is on your way to trying to do that thing is more interesting and then going that way if I hear a sound in my head oftentimes it's like I love the way the drums sound on that new light John Mayer song and I'll be working on drums and they'll sound kind of halfway there and I'll think like these are pretty sick. And then I go that direction and I double down on that and I go further that way. And by the end of it, I don't think anyone would like be able to tell what any, any sort of like reference point is. And that's like true of like all my favorite songs. I think like if you are inspired by something and you try to do a little bit of it and there, it sounds kind of like a mistake, like if you double down on your mistake, do something different, like stuff's really exciting. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Switched on Pop is a production of Vox Media. We're produced by Jillian Weinberger, edited and engineered by Brandon McFarland. Our community manager is Sarah Terry, and our executive producers are Nishat Kerwa and Allison Rocky.
1: You can find more episodes at SwitchedOnPop.com, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, anywhere you find podcasts, there we are. You can also reach out to us at contact at SwitchedOnPop.com or Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back
0: again in another week. And until then,
1: thanks Thanks for for listening.